Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Jason Elrod, Chief Information Security Officer with Multicare Health System. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, this brief word from our sponsor. Your organization doesn't compromise on patient care, so why compromise in the endpoints you deploy? iGel is the ultimate operating system for healthcare organizations using VDI, DAS, or SAS. And we're offering a free laptop on which to experience iGel's no compromise OS. Just visit iGel.com slash why compromise. Jason, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Anthony. Happy to be here. All right. Very good. Um, let's start out. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your organization and your role? Excellent. I am the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for MultiCare Health System. We're an 11 hospital system uh, based out of Tacoma, Washington, uh, and uh, our area of service is primarily the Pacific Northwest. All right. Very good. Um, I find CISOs have uh, sometimes very interesting career journeys, but why don't you tell me how you wound up in not only technology, but healthcare and security? How did you wind up in that very specific place? So we go, we go broad to, broad to tight on this one. Um, so I wrote my first computer program back in 1979, which was most people. And, uh, and, uh and that was on on, on a system uh, called a Commodore PET. Okay, uh, I had a I had a Commodore sixty four. I didn't do anything with it, but I had it. But go ahead. Well, my dad, my dad was a programmer for the Department of Justice at the time, and we had access to it. So I was very lucky from that standpoint to have an early access uh, to technology and um, and computers. Um, today, I tell my my kids, you know, back when I was your age, um, I had to uh, type my video game in by hand. Uh, took me four hours uphill in the snow, both ways, no shoes. And then uh-huh. it wasn't fun. Uh-huh. We couldn't save it when we had to do it again. So uh, lo- long time in IT. So a long time technologist, long time love of technology. Um, I would say that uh, professionally, I've been in uh, I- IT uh, since the probably the mid 80s. Uh, and I began my career in finance. And uh, I was working, uh, uh, I managed data centers for uh, uh, financial organizations at the time. Swap that into uh, uh, back in the You Got Mail era and uh, had an ISP back there in the mid, mid-90s to, to that two, year 2000 crossover. And it was during that time, it was during that time when you're running an ISP early on, early on, uh, that you find out there's nobody you can call when somebody hacks your system. There's nobody out there. And mm-hmm. so that's when I really got, I dove deep on on the vertical of security. Okay. So what does it take? What's happening here? How, how does this impact? So not just the IT aspects of it, but that was that further specialization back there, uh, mid nineties. Then uh, I've, I've been in healthcare doing this job probably the last 12 years now as a focus of information security in healthcare. So that's kind of the journey. So way back when on, on the little uh, green screens uh, yeah. to now. Well, tell me about the switch to healthcare. Um, what? How did that sort of come about? Did you always were you always have an interest or curious about healthcare, or was it just a good opportunity? I think it was probably um, a little of both. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the original organization, uh, my organization before where I'm at here, I had the opportunity to come in and audit the organization, or 
a chance to come into the organization and stand up their sock. And at that point, uh, my wife was like, hey, our, our kids were going into high school. And I said, hey, you know, probably be a good idea if you traveled less mm. and, 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 and settled down into that more. So interesting thing there. I, I didn't really have a plan more about, you know, 18, 24 months to come in and, and do that, stand up, do, do sort of this point in time item. But somewhere inside there, uh, you get connected with the purpose. Mm-hmm. And you start realizing in, in healthcare, um, th- there's really a one-to-one relationship where you can use your tradecraft mm-hmm. in IT or in security and have a real world impact to people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, helping protect people when, when they don't feel well, really well protected, helping them feel a little bit safer when maybe they don't feel safe. Uh, and, and really that, that brought out the defender in me and, uh, and created a real strong connection to healthcare. And so security and healthcare was just a match. That's great. So connected to the mission. Um, sort of a high level open question here. You could take it whatever direction you want from a big picture point of view. What are either a couple of the big things you're working on? or the most um, compelling or interesting trends that you're looking at and following? I think I'll, I'm going to take the, the former. So what, what am I concentrating on right now? Uh, and that really is third-party risk. Mm-hmm. Third-party risk. Um, because uh, more and more, we see our solutions that we consume as an organization as being composed of other solutions. So as you get to a second or third party and sort of that supply chain of a solution um, that make it up, the importance of uh, that third party risk management becomes more and more. So your due diligence has to push out there. So your thought around what is the perimeter for my security gets blown away. It's no longer a a, a walled castle or a walled village with a moat. Mm -hmm. The front line's everywhere. And so what you end up having to do is say, well, how do I push that security, uh, privacy, compliance, risk management boundary um, out as far as I can? Mm-hmm. How do I move that from not only just where I'm at right here, but understanding that the boundary that we work within is now pushed out to maybe second or third parties. So how, how do we do that and how do we address that? So that, that's a, a big importance right now in uh, things like uh, zero trust. Comes in, comes in play there. Okay, so yeah, third-party risk is huge. Uh, when people, uh, I've heard people talk about the concept of the perimeter no longer being a reality. There is no perimeter, right? It's not the castle and moat anymore. And when I hear them talk about that, zero trust comes up. We could talk about that more, but also identity. Um, it, it, you see identity being a major component now of managing a zero trust type world where there is no. Uh, edge, no perimeter. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, I often say identity is the perimeter. Uh-huh. And it really is. Uh-huh. Who should have access to data, where, when, what, why, to what extent, for how long? So data is always the asset. Data is the asset. Uh, identity, and that's an entity identity, right? That could be an individual. It could be an application. It can be um, a system. Um, that's the perimeter. Identity. How can I be assured through um, identity assurance that this identity should be able to interact with this data? And the specific controls that we're going to look for are based on the classification of that data. For instance, if it's uh, a public notice or something goes on our website, well, you know what? I expect the identity of everybody. We want to see it to see it. And the protection because it's public is probably copyright. Don't copy it and say it's yours. 
So it's, it's a very weak protection. Um, we're looking for integrity around it and some ways to make sure that it's not changed or the message is not adjusted. But on the flip side of that, let's say it is protected health information, PHI. We want to make sure that only the specific care team or only those people involved in delivery of care um, have access to it when they need it for that purpose. So you're going to shrink that way down and say, okay, look, the data is now confidential. So I want to make sure that the identity of whomever or whatever is going to interact with that is properly maintained. So it's interesting. So we say the in order for the perimeter to scale, you have to shrink it all the way down. You have to be more atomic with your perimeter, now mm-hmm. that the individual identity, in order to scale it wherever it may roam. Now I don't um, I don't want you to name any vendors, but is is identity as you're talking about it, what you want to achieve through identity management, is that difficult to achieve? Is that hard to do? Uh, the short answer is yes. It's hard. Why? To do. It's hard to do. I might be able to properly identify you or me. I like I, I, I get a posture management of a device and get some understanding where that is. But being able to do that in a holistic fashion, uh, fashion that I could then take that perimeter and properly apply it to certain data or access elements, that's the difficult part. Mm-hmm. So where, you know, I, whereas internally to our organization, I might say, hey, look, I've got really good identity proofing. I know Jason's Jason. I know Anthony's Anthony. Mm-hmm. Remember we talked about third party. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I make sure I push out that I trust their identity proofing? And then one more farther, how do mm-hmm. I trust their identity proofing of the identity proofing that is you know, third party, fourth party plus. So um, having a consistent mechanism in which to recognize that identity is truly valid and then applying that to the very the specific um, access or data, that's the difficulty. I mean, I think component-wise, the pieces are out there. But I think putting them all together, especially when you look at legacy items, that's the difficulty. And I think I have heard it said, is, that there, is there a fractured sort of vendor environment there where there's vendors that have different pieces, but nobody's really put it all together for you. So it's nice and easy to buy. You have to do a lot of work after you buy the little pieces. I, I, there's a lot of integration work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, think about it this way. Apple would like everybody to use Lightning as a universal port. Why? Because Apple benefits from it. Right. Port. And, and then other folks might say, hey, I want to use USB-C. You know, until we can all get to the idea of like we, we have one charging cable and one data transfer cable, it, it's difficult to say, uh, yeah, these two are one for one without something piece in between. How do mm-hmm. I get an adapter to put the two together to make it to make it work? That's a physical representation of it, but it's that same idea. There's not really a congruent uh, incentive model for an organization that says a major player to play with another major player if they're vying in, in, in that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so identity, you mentioned zero trust. Is it is it accurate to say identity is a component of zero trust? Yes, it's a foundational component. Okay, so uh, zero trust, we've done a number of webinars on zero trust, is a, a journey, a direction, um, especially in healthcare. It doesn't sound like people are extremely far along in that journey that either they're starting it, they're working towards it, they believe in it. And again, it's just something you work towards sort of every day. Uh, Is that how you see it as well? I think for me, zero trust is a strategy, attitude, and methodology 
that relies on a trail of techniques and technology to okay. enable it. Because it's not a single product. And we can say, hey, I handle these components of zero trust, or we may handle a collection of them, but it's not a single solution. There's no silver bullet out there. I haven't encountered it yet, but you have to have like an attitude and methodology there. Attitude that I'm going to shrink that perimeter to identity. And I'm, I'm always going to have maybe a continuous authentication based on the type of data they're accessing, whether accessing it. So I can authorize you, but I may change that authorization depending on the access you're accessing for. And then that, that's going to shift between which systems you're ac accessing. And again, that's where we start talking about different uh, methodologies and different techniques in order to do that. Identity still remains the, the, the core piece there. You need to know who or what is accessing um, the assets. So, so some of the talks I've had and things I've listened to, it sounds like uh, everyone is looking for the roadmap, the best roadmap to follow as far as security goes. So, you know, you've, a lot of people talk about NIST as sort of, you know, we work towards NIST. You mentioned zero trust. Um, and those are they're probably, you know, you can characterize those a little differently. Obviously, there's 405D has put out a bunch of stuff. Um, what, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, what is your philosophy in terms of, okay, we're going with this one, or this is what we're working towards. This is our gold standard. This is the roadmap we're adopting, especially smaller organizations. It sounds like they just like, just tell me just what's the one thing, because there are a few different pieces out there and, and, and sort of guideposts you can work towards. Uh, that's a great question. And I think it's going to be different based on the size of your organization. So organizationally, we follow NIST, NIST Cybersecurity Framework, CSF. And you have uh, NIST 853R5. I'm throwing out numbers, right? It's a list of about 1,800 controls you could possibly use to actually meet the requirements there of the NIST CSF. Uh, why would you do that? Well, a lot of our um, agencies that, that enforce compliance OCR, YG, you know, those, uh, they, that's the framework they use. And so I want to say, hey, this is the framework you use. This is government, government accepted and approved. So we're going to work towards that. Not just have something that's aligned with it. Let's use it. Mm -hmm. And then I think organizationally, that, that friction between the, the audit capability of, um, of agencies and the program or framework you're using is much easier. You, you get rid of some of those connectors, right? Because I'm using the actual one that they use. So they're familiar with it. And so you can have a common lexicon and have a common converse, conversation with, uh, when that comes up. So we follow NIST CSF. Um, you also mentioned 405D. So here's where you're talk, talking about, you know, I don't think there's any organization out there anywhere that applies all of, all of the potential controls that you could have in there. And some of them, the reason why is they just don't apply. They're not something that, that would be applicable to the organization so, or healthcare, right? So there's not all of that is applicable to healthcare, but the parts that are, are the ones we adopt and the ones we use. Now, 405B is going to talk about what aspects of those controls make the most sense to deploy in a prioritized fashion. So you're a smaller organization, you probably should have these 10 first. And that's when you get those done, then move on to the next. As you grow in size or complexity in your organization or potential impact um, for having a breach, then yeah, you're going to want to increase those controls accordingly. And they do provide a, a pretty good stair-stepped approach, small, medium, large, 
And once you hit that large, you're also talking about what are the nuances of not only my vertical, but my individual organization and how we operate in the, in the theater in which we operate too. Pacific Northwest, healthcare, not-for-profit. So how, how does that look? How do we want to make sure that, that we're applying that? So frameworks are great starting points. They're not the end point. They're not the end all be all, nor should you actually do them, you know, lock, stock and barrel exactly how they're written. You should actually take those as a start and apply them in a fashion that makes the most sense for your organization. Is, is zero trust the ultimate goal where, you know, you, you have to do compliance, you have to match up with these certain things. Um, but is zero trust the higher true north we want to move towards? Um, I think zero trust is a mechanism, again, an attitude methodology and a process by which you're going to achieve those things of, of, of a good security posture, a good mm -hmm. privacy posture, a strong compliance posture. Um, this has a, a, a zero trust framework. It's out there. I, I actually find it pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, so if, um, if folks wanted to go out there and, and say, well, what should I involve inside of my zero trust journey? Start there. It's already aligned with something mm -hmm. like this CSF and those other controls. What controls make the most sense as applied to that zero trust architecture? Now, I think, um, I think eventually zero trust is going to be uh, um, self-evident. Of course we do it that way. Why wouldn't we do it that way all the time? We always do that. Light switches, you flip them on, the light comes on, you flip it off, light goes off. It will be self-evident. Right now, it's not. But as we move more and more to that distributed uh, boundary, the more you're going to have to, it's just going to be self-evident, like I said. I think um, it's an inevitability uh, and it's the right way to go because that's the direction. Uh, that's the direction you need to cover the um, threat landscape of today and tomorrow, while at the same time being able to, you know, kind of pull in those legacy bits and pieces as well. So I think it's the right way. Is is the golden is the the, the golden ticket? Yeah, maybe today, but I, I don't think it's the end all be all. But I do believe it is a good true north by which to apply to your program to make sure you're hitting all your compliance items inside your framework as well. I think that I, is, is And you think that's zero trust as NIST has defined it? I think it's a good model. Okay. I do, I do think it's a good model. I think it, uh, especially if you've not uh, been following it for a long time mm -hmm. or not been really steeped in it, it's a great starting point and it's a good framework to have. Mm -hmm. um, insurance. So you talked about, you know, working towards compliance, um, cyber insurance, uh, big issue. Prices going up, protection coming down, uh, all kinds of things. A very difficult situation. Do you have any thoughts overall on cyber insurance? Some people are saying, hey, it's it's not even worth the money anymore. We're just going to self-insure, maybe put away what we would have spent on premiums because they're so exorbitant. And we saw now that, uh, I think it was Lloyd's, uh, they put That's out the word idea. that they weren't going to pay for any any nation state attack that's related to a country at war. And there seemed to be so much wiggle room in there in, in attributing uh, who's, who's um, perpetrating an attack that there would be lots of ways to get out of paying a claim. Uh, but what are your overall thoughts on cyber insurance? Um, I, I think it's necessary. I mean, contractually, uh, oftentimes you're gonna see that as part of your contract. You must carry so much liability insurance around cyber and stuff. So um, it, it's not something that you, that you can opt in or out of anymore. 
you, you really have to have a mechanism. So you mentioned self-insuring or going with an underwriter or, or an insurance company to help you out there. Um, I don't think you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can avoid it. Um, and I think uh, the best way to do is, is not, not to think of it in a, as an adversarial relationship because it's not at all. I think it's work, working with your underwriters, working with your insurance companies to say, okay, great. Here are the most probable loss events that we would experience in an organization. Let's say it's ransomware or it's a loss of business continuity for a little bit or business downtime due to a cyber event. It's working with them saying, okay, great. Who, who would you suggest we work with from an incident response standpoint? Who, uh, as our underwriters, our insurance partners in this, can do you suggest to help us get to that better security posture? So our overall organizational risk is less. When you focus on um, organizational risk, not just technology risk, we say like, hey, it's organizational risk. How do we address that in the context of cybersecurity? I think you have a a, a healthier uh, relationship with that and a much better conversation because you can say, okay, great. Here, Here is our assessment. Here's where we are focusing our efforts. You can reach out to your, your, your underwriter or your insurance provider and say, hey, from your perspective, is this where we should be concentrating? Or do you see something different? So I, I think it could be very collaborative. And I think it'd be very much a partnership versus, hey, I'm going to do this and they're going to try and wiggle out of it. I think the more you involve sooner, the less likely that becomes an actual, um, that becomes a problem, I guess, right? If, if, you, if, you, if you're totally not having the conversation, then yeah, it's a, it could be a surprise. But if you're having that constant conversation, you're having that touch base, you're going to be in a much better position. I mean, could they almost wind up helping you out in terms of doing a gap analysis for you? 100%. Right? They're coming in, they're looking at you and they're going, well, you know, we, we can insure you, but you've got to do A, B, C, and D first. And you go, huh, that's a good point. And then you, as you said, you could start a conversation around, well, uh, can you recommend anyone? Does it go to that level? You're saying you recommend, like, who do you recommend in these areas? Yeah, I, I, I think that's viable. If you don't already have those strong partnerships, right? right. Now, just you know, definitely say, hey, who have you worked with mm-hmm. that was able to provide these things in a fashion that you knew, as the underwriter, right, were done well, that you knew they were in place. So if something were to happen, bad things happen, threat actors are always out there, you knew that we did. Uh, we took all those reasonable steps and we did everything we could and you're comfortable with it as much as we're comfortable with it. Yeah. It's a great point to, to sort of try and get to a partnership relationship with that insurance company, because you're sure as heck going to want to be in that framework with them. If something happens, right. You're going to want to reach out to them to help you get through this. Yeah. They're going to be paying some bills, hopefully, but even beyond that, I would imagine they could be a great resource for you in terms of navigating that recovery. Yeah. And then they're going to have that perspective across right. the industry and across industries. Right. So they're going to say, hey, this is what's working over in retail. This is working in manufacturing. This is what's working in finance. Hey, this was working in other peer organizations of your size in healthcare. So they're going to be able to provide you some perspective that maybe you might not have because mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're nose down on, on, on your vertical of it. So I think um, uh, that's the kind of partnership that you want. Yeah. Very good. All right. Let's switch uh, gears a little bit. I noticed that I believe in the past you have posted 
on LinkedIn for open job positions, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, which um, I see more and more now. It's pretty cool. I think that um, CISOs uh, and other IT executives are sort of going direct, as it were. I'm sure uh, HR is involved in some degree uh, in what you're yeah. doing, but it's not um, you you call HR and say, I have an open position and they send you a batch of names or resumes at some point. Um, this is you going direct uh, and again to your network and, you know, you get likes from lots of people. So it, it as we know, these things can exponentially distribute uh, to what audiences. I don't know about the results or how that works out for you. I would imagine it, it has some potential to be uh, to work well, but I wanted to get your thoughts around that. Um, and uh, possibly how you're managing it with HR, to what degree they're still involved, and your advice for other CISOs about leveraging this kind of mechanism, uh, because we know there's a talent shortage. Uh, so this is a new and interesting way to find uh, in, uh, people for open positions. Um, it's a 100% of partnership. So you, in, in any organization, you have your, your HR group and you have your recruiting group. And you're going to say, well, here's the positions, here's the specific talent profile I need, here's the job, and and you put that out there. Um, But not everybody can be an expert in the things that you're an expert in, that you need them to be an expert in, that you need to get expertise in, onboarded. So I I think it's very important for um, security leaders uh, to to step out of of that box of like, hey, I'm up on this particular ivory tower or whatever it is. and, and actually, and then I call it leaping logical levels laughingly. Okay. <laughs> you need to be able to come down and say, hey, you know what? These are the types of personalities and talent profiles and experience we're looking for. And, and make yourself available to help, help with the assessment of that talent profile. For instance, you could be a pen tester. And uh, as an example, I don't have one of these roles open, but let's say I did. Uh, and and And... I could say, hey, you know what? I want somebody specific with these types of technologies, this type of background, this within healthcare, within maybe highly regulated areas, and and, and knowing maybe some more of um, the nerd knobs that I would like to see them them talented in, than say my recruiter who mm-hmm. who knows you know some of the work, but their expertise is not necessarily in cybersecurity and definitely not in red team pen testing and application security space. So they may not be able to suss out individuals who otherwise might have been opted out because of the lack of, um, I guess I'll call it a paper ceiling, right? You don't have the degree, you don't have the certification, but in the conversation, you might have a portfolio, you might have a reputation, you might be extremely talented, but not necessarily to make, and, and you wouldn't be able to pick that up if you didn't have experience in the discipline. And I'm talking about the discipline of cybersecurity here. You're going to be able to pick that up, like, hey, this person is a paper tiger mm-hmm. certifications, but that's all show no go, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Hey, this individual is awesome. She has the experience here. She she should be on our team, regardless of of, of what what it looks like. So I, I think when you have the expertise in an area, you should apply it. And in my organization, anybody in my organization can come talk to me at any time. And I've been talking about that or starting that relationship there at, even before the hiring process pays off in spades. So you are um, 
and when you do those postings, it's sort of a reply to me, so to speak, not a here, you can send an email to HR. I'll, I'll, I'll have, so I, I'm recently, I've done a couple of these, right? Mm-hmm. We've hired all our positions and, and part of that was because of that effort. Oh, good. So, um, but I'll post it out there say, Hey, look, you know, you know, feel free, mm-hmm. uh, skip all of that, the automated stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be a chance to, how about you reach out to me? Let's talk really quick and see if this maybe is the right role for you or maybe not. Right. You know, because maybe you match everything on there, but then we have to talk about the role and where it is maturity wise expectation, you know, what we expect from the role specifically may be a little bit different than the interpretation of what the job posting might be. Right. So I'll be able to like um, align expectations a little bit better before then. And if it's a match and I'll say, okay, yeah, now go over here and, and go and, and, Put that application in and I'm going to tell my internal recruiter, hey, you know, when Anthony puts, look for an application from Anthony, I've had a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. I would really like the rest of the team to meet this individual and, and, and run them through the process. So um, in a lot of ways, it, it, it is a, a, almost the golden ticket, right? <laughs> because you're getting around a lot of those components, yeah. but I think, you know, uh, we're, we're missing a lot of diamonds in the rough because of that process too. And I'd like to find those diamonds. Excellent. Um, where are you with uh, remote work? Does it depend on the position? Do you like to see people once in a while or are you fine with 100% remote? I'll, I'll never meet you. All my positions, uh, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll caveat that quote all. Um, my positions are remote first. Okay. You know, so so uh, if I if I gathered everybody in a room, we would just be together remote from the things we're doing anyways. Right, right, right. You know, and, and, and they're, they're, I'm not necessarily going to say, you know, what, one way or the other way. I think, of it, you know, um, it, all in office or, or hybrid or whatever it is. I think, but from my perspective, uh, I think remote works. If it works for you, then yeah, and it works for me. And, and you're going to be more productive uh, if you're in a more productive environment. Mm-hmm. And so all my roles are, are remote first. Um, then, uh, yeah, I go from there. I, I'm, I'm a big remote work person. I'll put it that way. Now I, I do go into the office and I, I do have uh, aspects of it where I have to do it. And there, there will be expectations to occasionally get together as a team. Cause I really do want to, you know, see actually how tall are you and, 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 and have that one-on-one conversation. That's not strictly boxed in by say a meeting agenda. Mm-hmm. We have 15 minutes. We're going to talk about this and then we're out. Something and I think you do get some better bonding when you have time one-on-one time in person, but it's not a requirement for most jobs. I, mean, I would just add that that's more of the make sure you're good with your team, make sure you have that camaraderie, make sure you understand what's going on in each other's lives mm-hmm. from a work-life balance, and uh, I think that's important. But yeah, remote first it doesn't matter where you live necessarily. Um, if you've got the talent profile and you've got the um, the motivation to do it. Heck, you know. Well, it certainly gives you a much a much larger talent pool, right? When you knock the little circle, you know, you don't have to just draw a small circle of 60 miles around your health system and say, this is where we can hire people from, right? <laughs> you essentially open it up to the entire country, you if do. not larger. So yeah, you, you're much more, you have less, you have less competition. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been in the situation where I was at a not-for-profit healthcare system uh, and we had to compete with the same talent pool and in, in um, the Silicon Valley was after. Mm-hmm. Well, there's absolutely no way I'm going to pay the same thing as anyone like, you know, at Facebook or Apple or right. 
Netflix or Google. I mean, I can't compete there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, if, if I, I don't need to, I don't need to, because if I, if I go remote, I can get the same caliber of talent to come for, for us. And yet they, they can stay there in, in, in their families and their communities and actually grow that. So um, it's huge because it makes a big difference in, in the quality and uh, ability um, for the organizations um, like mine to, to be able to have just that top tier talent. Well, you've also got a better mission than Netflix, right? <laughs> a little bit more noble there. Not that Netflix, not that we all don't watch it, but it's still a little more meaningful in healthcare probably. Um, amazingly, we are just about out of time. I'm going to ask you one more question um, and then I'm going to let you go. Just a final thought, final piece of advice. Uh, picture someone in a comparable sized health system, a CISO at a comparable sized health system. You want to give them your best nugget that you've got since programming Commodore Pets all through the years, financial services, um, and then certainly a good amount of, a good amount of time in healthcare now. What's your best nugget for them as they try and navigate today's challenges? Gosh, I'm I'm, I'm going to say get wickedly good at the basics and crowdsource. I've, I've made that that comment here in my readers. Everybody in this organization, when it comes to cybersecurity, works for me. Mm-hmm. And trust your organization to be that space. So so push it out. So get really good at the basics and crowdsource internally because you're going to find a lot of people on a lot more visibility and a lot more talent than you ever thought you knew you had. And you're talking there about hiring, about bringing people on. I'm, I'm hi- hiring and even operational aspects. Uh-huh. And then my, my piece on it, let's say service desk as an example, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's, that's a security function. They know when the, the type of tickets that are coming in are different right. than normal tickets. Yeah. A little bit weird for our, our physician population. That's a little bit weird for our networking. They're going to be able to, they're going to have those initial indicators of compromise way before anything else. And I think um, take advantage of it because uh, that knowledge and talent's out there. And you're going to find a few folks that, that not only where they have that and they've noticed it, but they're going to develop that, that passion for cybersecurity and that defender's mindset. And they're going to right. want to, those are going to be your passionate defenders that are going to um, really come up through the organization and make your system better. The, the canary in the coal mine, that's uh, the help desk, right? They, they have that uh, indication of when something's going on. Jason, fantastic interview, wonderful talk. I think people are going to really enjoy it. I want to thank you for your time today. Thanks, Anthony. It has been my pleasure.